Pray with me. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you that you are a flame that doesn't burn out, God. Um, we ask you today to, to come and be in this room and overwhelm us, Lord, with um, your truth. The things that you had to say to the church at Ephesus, God, you still say to us today. So thank you for um, Paul's words. I thank you that, um, that even these words written so long ago are so applicable to where we are right now. So today, God, will you show us, each of us, whatever that is, whatever you want us to walk out with today to come to know you in a deeper way, will you, will you give us that? Thank you for this time. We thank you for um, just this quiet, just, I mean, 40 minutes of, of sitting and thinking and loving you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you will join us for that if um, greatest hits and uh, sign up and join us. I know there's probably still childcare. I may be speaking out of turn that you can register for. Um, but guys, it's just so worth it. Whether you have kiddos or not, it's just worth it to sit and listen to the teaching. And we're going to have live worship and it'll be, it'll be pretty awesome. So take a look at that if you get time. All right, we are going to cover Ephesians 2. Um, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians 2. Last week, we talked about Ephesians 1, didn't we? We talked about Paul and in the introduction to the letter, right? He gave us that little salutation, his little greeting, and then he launched into the longest sentence in the history of the world, amen? This long, giant, 202-word, just bold, just explosion of words and excitement, and that's Paul. And he gives us this message, and he shared with us that the Father chose us, that the Son redeemed us, and that the Holy Spirit sealed us, right? All these things he had to say at the very beginning, because you never know how much time you got, right? Well, then he goes into prayer and explains a beautiful illustration of how we can pray. I love the way that chapter ends, chapter 1 ends this way with this sentence, and it kind of takes us straight into chapter 2. He finishes it with this in verse 22. He says, And he, Jesus, put all things under, excuse me, God, put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church. And listen to this. Which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. And that's how he starts chapter 2. Well, as I was thinking through um, this section that we're going to cover today, you know, for me, um, a lot of it was remembering. A lot of it was Paul, he's doing a lot of reminding. If you'll remember, if you were here in the first week or two of Bible study, we talked about how the book of Ephesians, this letter, was broken up really into two halves. The first half, which we're still in, is where he's giving all this explanation of doctrine. In other words, that's fancy church word for, this is what we believe about Jesus. Okay, And so that's why you see the name Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, in Christ, all over this thing. Because he's trying to remind them, this is what you believe. Don't forget what you believe. And then we're going to get to the second half of the book soon where it's divided with the one word. Remember? Therefore. And it takes us into, this is what you believe. Now, this is what God did. Now, this is what you do with that. Okay, But we're still in this first part, so Paul is telling us what we believe. This is what we believe if we're believers in Jesus Christ. So as I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking all he's saying this week in chapter 2 is he's telling us, remember who you were, remember who you are, 
Remember, excuse me, remember whose you are. Remember where you were. Remember you are one. He's just giving them lots of things to remember, and he does that for us too. And so as we listen and we think through this letter and who wrote it and who he wrote it to, I hope that you'll also hear that it was written to you too. You know, anytime I think about remembering, I think one of the great truths that God has has shown me over the past few years of my life has been that faith is remembering, right? Faith is remembering. When my faith is weak, all I got to do is remember where he's brought me. Remember the scars that I have endured, that I carry with me, but that are evidences of where I've been healed and wounds that he has wrapped up, right? When you worked on this homework, you started with that first page. And I, and I talked a little bit about my son and his, his mountain biking accident. And I wanted to share a real, a real cool picture. You like that? It's written on. That was the surgeon wrote on there. You know how they do that to make sure they don't cut on the wrong arm. But I wanted to show you this because for me, this last year, this scar is, is, is a lot of remembering for me. He's, he's had three surgeries now and seven weeks of pick line infusion and, and, and has, has overcome and is moving towards a healthy place with his arm. He's at school, by the way. He's back at school. He's there. He's doing good. Yeah, that was a big victory. Those of you who have, uh, who have uh, been walking with me through this, you understand. But, but I was struck as Paul's sharing all these things we remember. It's really like, like scars. You know, when I talk to my kid... He, he did this in a mountain biking accident, and I'm the mom, so you know what I do every time I see it? I'm like, oh, oh. I'm like, I'm just, it's just, it makes me cry almost every time I see it. And I just remember what happened, and I'm scared about when he gets back on the bike. Amen? It's coming. But this is what's cool about, about this kid and this arm, is he reminds me all the time, no, this isn't, we don't just remember, we look forward to the comeback. And this is what he tells me. Remember where we were, what happened, but let's look forward to the comeback. And so as you listen to us walk through this together about what Paul is reminding them, remembering who they were, but then reminding them of the comeback. Remember who you were. Remember whose you are. Remember where you were and remember that you're the one. Ephesians 2 The first three uh, verses of Ephesians 2 are Paul reminding them of where they were. How many people loved day one of homework? It was so fun, right? Yeah, okay. That was the whole part of like where we were. When we were sitting in our leader group, we were all like, can we just be done with this part and move on to the but God? Let's just get past this. But it's important, right? It's just like the scar idea. Like it's important to have it as a reminder, but not to camp there and stay there, right? Well, verses 1 through 3 go like this. He starts with, uh, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all, notice that, we all, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The first thing I want you to notice is Paul is reminding them, all of us, this is who all of us were. Not one of us was born outside of verses 1 through 3. None of us. All of us started out this way. I love the quote by Oscar Wilde, and I think I posted it somewhere or sent it to somebody, or I don't know what I did with it. 
Every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. That's truth. Every one of us started this way. This is who we were. Verse 1 reminds us, uh, reminds the readers, that Paul's telling them, hey, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sin. You were dead in this, in this world of, of, of sinful desires that you allowed to take over and rule and, and move you through your motives. The world tells us this. And I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing that the world told them this too. But the world in 2018 tells us this. It tells us, hey, you're good. You're, you're good. You have a good heart. You know, follow your heart. Well, that's, it's, it's actually in complete opposition of what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Every one of us. We were by nature the children of wrath. We were dead. We weren't just kind of bad. We were lifeless and hopeless before Jesus. Do you know people that are in that place? You know, in our small group, um, our, our leader group, that's my only small group. They adopt me in and let me be in that group for, for like a minute. Um, you know, we talked about how it's hard. This is hard to understand because I've got a lot of awesome people in my life that are not believers in Jesus Christ. Do you? Like really great people. Like people that, you know, like bring their trash cans in on time and like real humanitarian stuff like that. No, I mean, I, I'm being serious when I say really good people that want to do good for the world, right? They care about other people. They take care of people. They, they excel at things. They create art. They're successful at work. They're charitable and they're giving in the way they live. But let me just remind you of this. They are spiritually dead if they don't know Jesus. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's hard for us to understand how these people that don't know Jesus who are spiritually dead can do all these great things. Well, let me remind you, we are all image bearers of God. Every one of us, whether we believe it or not. The good in us comes from God, and we are never truly alive unless we're collect, connected to Jesus. You know, in John 15, he says, Jesus says this whole big thing, that I am the vine, is what he says. And it's his, his, his beautiful word picture of trying to remind us that we're branches, and if we're not connected to the vine, then we do what? We die. Doesn't mean that branch ain't, ain't pretty and might be cute as a centerpiece on your table, or, but it's not alive. Jesus says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Spiritually dead unless we're connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. He goes on in this section to remind us um, that, that the, the people that were reading this and us as well, we are not only dead, but we were disobedient, weren't we? We were disobedient. He says that we follow basically three things that lead us into disobedience. He said that we follow the world. We follow the prince of the power of the air. Remember that phrase? You're like, the what of the what of the what? And that we also follow the passions of our flesh. The passions of our flesh. When we follow the world, I want you to remember when he's using the word world here, he's using it in a way that means this humanistic system that is at odds with God. A humanistic system that is at odds with God. In other words, us people here on this earth saying, I can do God better than God can do God. World. Okay? He's reminding us that um, in this world, 
that is at odds with God, that we tend to want to follow that and that can lead us into disobedience. Paul knew his, his readers would always be pressured to conform. You know that? In the book of Romans in chapter 12, he reminds them with these words, do not be conformed to this world. You know, I, I, I hear this and we're, we're looking at these first three verses that were painful and hard to listen to and everything. But remember, even if you know Jesus Christ, we can tend towards these ways, right? We can live as though we're spiritually dead. We can live as though we're disobedient. We follow the world and Satan and passions of our flesh, right? Just because you've accepted Jesus and our salvation is secure doesn't mean we don't go back into this place of being dead and disobedient and doomed. We do it all the time. Watch for it. Well, in, in John 15, Jesus even says this, and, and this is super encouraging. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Anybody feel that way sometimes? It's like sometimes you are swimming against the stream. Amen? Anybody ever checked into Facebook? I mean, every day I feel like we're swimming upstream. But Jesus himself says, yes, amen, you are, as you should be. You followed the world. The other way that, um, that Paul points out that his readers had been disobedient in their former life was this. He said, you followed the enemy. You followed Satan. You followed the prince of the power of the air. Okay, a couple of things to note about this, and we're not going to spend a ton of time because we're going to have other opportunity. Paul talks about him a lot. You'll see that. In fact, he talks more about principalities and the power of the enemy in Ephesians than any other letter. Interesting, huh? So we'll, we'll cover that more, I think, in chapter 4. But I want you to know this, that term of the air, when you see that, he's just giving him a description. And what he's trying to do is with words, he's trying to represent the fact that this is his kingdom. Where we have air, where we breathe air under the sun, this is where he rules. Paul is describing the current state of the world and reminding us, this is a truth that you need to know, God has given him permission to do such. And that's hard, right? Like, that's one of those things we go back to the mystery of God and we say, yeah, but why? Why not just, let's be done with that guy. I'm with you, man. I don't know either. When I get there, that's on my list of questions, I tell you. But what we can know is this. Remember, focus on what we know, focus on what it says, not what we don't know, not what it doesn't say. Okay? What we can know from the Bible is this, that Satan was created, not a creator. The only creator is God. Creator is always greater than the created, okay? regardless of what the world says. In the Bible, you'll see terms that refer to Satan as, as the ruler of the demons and the ruler of this world and the God of this age and the father of lies. And there's some things we need to know about him, okay? He is not omnipresent. He is not in all places at once. He's limited in his time and his space, but he does have associates who help him out from time to time. They work throughout the world system to influence the lives of non-believers and believers. When he uses this term, children of the disobedience, remember, he's referring to people back when we were, before we believed in Jesus, children of disobedience. That was when we were ruled by this Satan guy, ruled by him, directed by him. We may not call it that, the world may not call it that, but anything that moves us away from God, away from Christ, is the enemy. 
well, we, we move into to talking about how um, we, we were following the world, that we were following the enemy, but then also we were following our flesh. And that's kind of a weird term, but it has a, a very distinct meaning here. Let me, let me give you, let me see if I can, I can lay it out for you. This, this always helps me understand what it means to follow our flesh, which is essentially sinful desires, okay? Just kind of the way I tend to lean toward being a jerk, okay? Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever been around a kid? That's a good question. Oh, yeah, I see that you're all nodding, yes. I don't know if you own one or not, but even if you don't, you've seen them, right? In the line at Target, throwing stuff, right? Okay, we've seen it. Let me ask you this question for those of us that have been around kids before. Do you have to teach them to be brats? It comes naturally. (laughs) Do you have to teach them to lie? Do you have to teach them to be selfish? Do you have to teach them to be jealous? Do you have to teach them anger? One of my friends was telling me a minute ago out there about her kid throwing a tantrum this morning. And I thought, oh, oh, this fleshly natures. That's who we are. I mentioned before that we're image bearers of God. We are image bearers of God. But do you remember what happened way back in Genesis? The fall came and now forever we're separated from God. So we can be be born in the image of God, but we are also born sinful creatures. Remember verse 1? That's who we are before we meet Jesus. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, if you want to do a little light reading, there's a really great list there that will completely depress you. So highly recommend it. Go check it out. But Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he shares, like he lists them out. It's ugly. He gives these fleshly desires and habits that are all associated with sin. They're things like, I cleaned them up because his language was a little like, what? It's in the morning. It's Wednesday morning. Selfishness, anger, sexual sin, idolatry, jealousy, drunkenness, excessiveness, all of those things that we know lead us away from him, don't they? Disobedience. The flesh tells us to follow your heart, do what feels good. God tells us, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else who can trust it. Well, the last thing that he reminds us when he's talking about um, the fact that this is who we were is he says in the end of verse 3 that you were doomed. You were doomed. It's all great news, right? Yeah. Well, let's get to the, what, we, what we are. We were by nature the children of the wrath, like the rest of mankind. I love that he adds that little phrase in because I think a lot of times, I don't know about you guys, that I'm sitting here listening to Paul go, this is who you are. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm so not that anymore. But it's like he's reminding me, hey, Chris, you were just like everybody else. Everybody else who, who maybe hasn't encountered Jesus Christ yet, but you were just like everybody else. He draws our attention to the depths of our depravity without Jesus to magnify the mercy and grace that we can, we can live when we know him. It's all the same starting line, guys. I mean, I think, I think oof. as Christians, I think a lot of times we get that messed up. You know, we start getting this high and mighty. I, I drop away my humility and I decide, well, I got Jesus and you don't. So <laughs> you know, it's just not what he's saying here. He's reminding us you are just like everybody else. You were born with the same nature. The difference is that you now have Jesus. May we be like sensitive to the fact that there are several behind us in line that are making their way. And we don't want to gain the way, do we? I want to draw people to Jesus, not make them turn away. 
it's kind of depressing. Amen. <laughs> first three verses. I'm really glad we're not done, honestly. Well, those first three verses are followed by what is um, maybe my very favorite moment of the entire book of Ephesians. The two words, you remember what they are? But God. I love that uh, this, this, one, this one commentary I read, I, I, I highlighted it a million times and I wrote it and stuck it on my computer and by my coffee maker because that's an important place to stick notes. Um, he said this, he said, these two words may be the best in the whole Bible. Christians, behold your biography. These two words tell us the difference between living in verses 1 through 3 and becoming who we get to become through Jesus. I love that. So he told us to remember who you were. Now he's going to say, but God, and show us, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Starting in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, remember verses 1 through 3? We were dead, right? Even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up, excuse me, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Who loves this part? This is day two. Like, let's hang out here for a while. I'm done with who I was. I want to be who who I am now, whose I am now, right? Well, Paul's word reminds us that, that there are some things that he wants us to understand as we move into this section. He wants us first to understand God's character, God's character. He says in verse 4 um, that God loved us. I want you to think about something. This was really interesting to me because I'd never actually thought about it this way. There are so many beautiful things, and I think you're highlighting them in pink, right? Right? So many cool. Um, um, this week we had so many different op- opportunities to highlight his character. But I want you to think about this for a second. There's really a couple ways to look at this. There are intrinsic characteristics that God has, that we all have essentially. There's something about him, an intrinsic attribute, if you will, and it's basically it's just something that he possesses. Okay? So God loves us. Okay, awesome. That's an intrinsic attribute, an intrinsic characteristic, but this is where it gets cool for us sitting in these chairs. But then there's this thing called relative attributes, and that's where we see how God relates who he is to creation. Let me give you an example. He loves us, so he shows us mercy and grace. You see, the beauty of seeing God's characteristics is you can claim that You know, God shares, I mean, Paul shares here over and over all these beautiful attributes that that God is. Those are things that we can know and trust as truth. But then we get to see how he relates them to his creation, and that's us. God's character. Then we see that uh, he goes on to tell us, Paul tells us, and he starts in verse 5, about God's work, the work that he does. Essentially, remember, he loves us. This is his characteristic. And so these are the things that he does because he loves us. The first is this, that he makes us alive in Christ. He makes us alive in Christ. You know, I think, I'm just speaking for me. I'm sure you don't have the same problem. I forget this part. 
Forget this part. I, have, I, I, I told you last week I accepted Jesus when I was 15 years old, and I'm, I'm a little bit older than that now, touch. And so it's been a while. So I have lived in the grace and mercy of Jesus, and I have sung songs and, and all the things that we do, right? And I forget that I've been made alive, not just made better, mind you. Remember, he says we were spiritually dead, not just spiritually like, meh, iffy. We were dead. This term, made alive, is the same term in the Greek that's used when we talk about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Did you know that? In John chapter 11, verses 43 through 44, Jesus, if you don't know the story, I do recommend going back and checking this one out because this is who we were and whose we now are, is Jesus goes to his friend. Remember, he was a few days late, and so he was a little bit late. So Lazarus had been there for a little bit of time. Remember, he'd been buried in the tomb for a little bit of time. Well, back in the day, that might not have been a really great outcome. Amen? Four days in the, in the hole in the ground. Not, not cool. He gets there, and his sisters basically said, You were too late. I mean, come on. You were too late. But, but he's never too late, is he? We can say whatever we want to say, but we're not real good at being God. He's really good at it. And so Jesus walks up in verses 43 and 44, and um, when he says these things, this is the whole chapter about um, what he, the interaction he has with Lazarus' sisters and, and trying to tell them, trust me. And this is what he says. I love this. He says, Lazarus, come out. And don't you know everybody standing around was like, what is he doing? <laughs> He's dead. It's been like four days. We can smell him from here. He's, he's dead. Yeah, he stinks. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. He had been prepared for death by those who love him. But he walked out, and Jesus said to him, are you ready for this? Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. He said, in essence, he's alive. Get him out of the grave clothes. He's not just mostly dead. Anybody? Thank you, Princess Bride. He's not mostly dead. He's fully, fully dead. But when he walks out, Jesus is like, oh, no, no. He's fully, fully alive. Get him out of the grave clothes. And I think, are we just alive like Lazarus roaming around in a graveyard with dirty, nasty, smelly stuff, living like we're still dead? This is not about self-help habits. This is not about routines that you change or, or a roll sheet that you check. This is about being raised from the dead and living a new life. Like, we need to understand and appreciate that. His work. He raises us from the dead. Do we live like we're dead? He also raises us up in verse, uh, I can't remember where it is. It's in there somewhere, probably verse 6. He, he says he raises us up. Now that means that he's uniting us with Jesus. Is that cool? Reuniting us with Jesus. Thirdly, he says that he's now seated, we're now seated beside him. Something to note. This doesn't mean that we are divine Okay, in our nature, that, that hasn't changed. But what it does mean, oh, I love this so much, is that now we have adopted power through Christ to overcome. We've adopted the power through Jesus, not through us, to overcome. Significant. And also, lastly, he makes a point to refer to the coming ages. And I want you to note something here. That means forever. That means forever. He dispenses his grace and kindness 
forever. It's not a one-time thing like, hey, boom, all good, and then back to living this depraved life of being dead and disobedient and doomed. No, it's forever. When we don't live like that, we're the problem, not him, right? Well, he tells us in this section, Paul does, about God's character. And then he tells us about what God's done and made this character relative to us, right? The works that he's done. And he also shares with us that we are his workmanship. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? Do you ever look in the mirror? I, I mean, I'm sure you do. I do every day. You are his workmanship. You look good. <laughs> I mean, shame on us, right? I mean, if we're, we're women in here, we can get real. I think that's a place that we need to remember who we are, whose we are. We are his workmanship. Paul reminds us, reminds this audience that they are pointing to God by how they live, by being his workmanship. Verse 7 says, in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, note, in Chris's good works, does it? Remember that um, in verse 8, I'm going to start in verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse 10. He says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Underline that. Write your name. This is not your own doing. I'm sure you're fabulous, but it is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, Paul is reminding them that the same resurrection power that saved them, that took them from who they were to whose they are, is the same power that took them out of the graveyard. It's also the same power that can help them live a life that brings glory to God and maybe, just maybe, points other people to God too. Maybe. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. James 2 says it like this in verses 14 through 17. Um, that's Jesus' brother, by the way, who was not a believer, by the way, until after Jesus was resurrected. Talk about a testimony. That's James. James says this, faith without works is dead. Works don't lead to faith. In other words, just like I said before, Chris doesn't get to do a bunch of good stuff, keep score, and then Jesus is like, hey, that mm, good grade. You're looking good. You're in doesn't work like that. James says this in the message translation. I love this. God talk without God action is outrageous nonsense. God talk without God action is outrageous nonsense. The problem here is we get real messed up. And I know a lot of us that have heard this before, maybe study James, we think we've got it right, don't we? We think we know that because we are good or we, we do the right thing or we donate and we go to church and we do all the things, that, that we, we say, no, I don't believe that that's what saved me. Grace and mercy saved me. But do I live like I believe that? Do I live like I believe that, that God's grace is what saved me? And because of his grace, I have to do good works. I just have to. Anybody watch um, The Good Place, that show? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, some of us are proudly watchers. It's really actually a hilarious show. I want to show you a screen that I, I screen captured my computer <laughs> The, the Good Place. This, this show is, is um, it's, it's entertaining, but let me just tell you, you know, the theology is real off. But it's real, real funny. Okay. But this is what I think is so funny about this show, is the whole premise of the show is that there's a good place and a bad place. Okay. And to get to the good place, you got to have a good, you got to have a good list. 
And so it's this beginning in the very first episode, he kind of gives this whole monologue like, we keep score of everything you do. And you get points for this, and you get points taken away for this. And it was really hilarious. Like, look at that. Remember your sister's birthday? 15 points. Good job. Purify water source in a village? Oh, great job. And, the, you know, it's just kind of funny how it's like he, he lays out, oh, you poisoned a river? That's a lot of negative points. Yeah. And then I love the part at the top. Failed to disclose camel illness when you were selling your camel? It's kind of funny, isn't it? But we laugh at this, but do we live like we believe this? I mean, I, I, this cracked me up. I watched it like three times because I was like, I want to read every one of the things. But we live like we believe that, don't we? We're his workmanship. We're not created so that we can do all this and that we can show up and boast and stand at the gates of heaven and go, look at my list. That's not what grace and mercy is. You see, grace is, is the fact that you got something because you didn't deserve it. And there's no scorecard that you can compare to somebody else's that says, oh, wait, you do deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. She does. He doesn't. It doesn't work like that. We were all sons of disobedience. Amen? Every one of us. We were born with this nature of wrath. And God being who he is and how much he loves us, not because we have a good list, but because he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for every dark thing we have done, are doing, and will do. He didn't deserve it. Well, we're his workmanship, and we need to live like that. Works don't save us, but they may be part of what saves someone else. Are there people in your world that are watching how you live? They're saying, oh, you go to Bible study every Wednesday? Let me see how this plays out. I know there's people watching me. And I get it wrong sometimes, but I, if we can remember who we are, if we can remember his character, his works, and that we are ultimately his workmanship, I think it might get us pointing in the right direction. Amen? Well, the last two sections, I'm going to move quickly because they really kind of echo a lot of the first part. In verses 11 through 16, we see how uh, Paul is now turning his attention primarily to the Gentiles who are listening to the letter, Okay. It, it, it's like this first um, verses 11 through 13, they really echo the same pattern as verses 1 through 3. Super duper fun, right? We love getting to hear all the things that we were. Well, it's important. It's a scar. We need to know where we came from so that we can see where we're going. He reminds him of this. Let me read, <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter, I mean, excuse me, in verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now, here's the thing you need to understand, just real, real briefly, but these people would know this, okay? They have lived thousands of years be, being alienated from the, from the Jewish nation, okay? The chosen people. It, remember we talked before about how God is a God of elect and he chose the nation of Israel? Well, these Gentiles know that they weren't part of the chosen, okay? So for all these years, they've believed this whole thing like, we're alienated. This is who we are. We're on the outside of this promise, not anymore. That's what Paul's trying to tell them. That's why Jesus came. So he's trying to tell them, you, have, you had encountered two different types of alienation. One was social, 
And so there's a lot of animosity between these two groups for years and years and years. Go back and read the Old Testament just for fun, and, and you'll see. It's a lot of ugly things. But there was also spiritual alienation, and the Gentiles were cut off from God. Listen, when he talks about circumcision, which is always fun to talk about, amen? Who loves that? Yeah, no, whatever. I don't understand it either completely, but I want you to think of it in these terms, okay? It's a physical sign of the Jewish people's covenant with God. That's all that it was, okay? There's a lot of other things you can go back and read about why this particular thing. I get it. I'm with you. I don't understand. Why couldn't we just, I don't know, pierce your nose, something different. I don't get it. I digress. But here's the thing. He, he just wants them to understand that when you were considered uncircumcised, you were considered separated from God. That's what it meant. You were Christless, you were foreigners from Israel, and you were hopeless and godless. That's who you were, right? You were outsiders. Well, the beautiful thing is, remember where you were? You were on the outside. Now, remember you are one. Verses 13 through 16 go this way. He uses another term that's almost as good as but God, but not quite. But now, who doesn't love that? I bet the Gentiles there were like, yeah, preach it, preach it. But now you were this, this is where you were, but now in who? In Christ Jesus. Over and over and over, he's reminding them, right? This is not just a bunch of guys making stuff up. This is through Christ Jesus that you are now one. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, and that's actually a term in the Greek that was used often to refer to the Gentiles. They would recognize that term, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility? Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Listen, the, basically what you need to understand is this. He died for all sinners. All sinners. The Jewish sinners and the Gentiles. Every single one he died for. Every single person we encounter in our lives, whether they believe it or not, he died for them. The second thing is he uses this idea um, of a wall and the wall breaking down. And when he's referring to this being of, of unity, it's actually a figurative but also a literal um, picture. Because he's trying to allude to these Gentiles who would understand this, that, that in, the temple, in, the, in the temple there was this partitioned wall. And it kept the, there was this one spot called the Court of the Gentiles. And it was kind of like the B-team section where everybody got, if you're a Gentile, you can worship back there. But you're not coming into where... Um, the chosen people are. And so basically Paul's saying, hey, that, that thing is broken down. That's no more. We are one. Can you imagine the victory that they might have felt when they heard that? I can't even imagine. Thousands of years, this is who we were. This is where we were on the outside. And now we are one with God's people. We are chosen. Well, Jesus abolishes regulations of ceremonial law and the condemnation of moral law. He abolishes all of it. Both of them were divisive and both were put away when he died on the cross, period. Paul wants them to understand, don't ever forget who you were. 
But don't camp there. Amen? Don't be Chris, Mama Chris, who every time I look at my kid's arm, I'm like, huh, that was so terrible. Remember how terrible? Be braided. Be the one who says, yeah, but you know what? This just reminds me of where I've been, and now this is where we're going. Scars remind us of where we've been, what he has healed, and how we are changed. Scars can give us faith in the remembering. Don't let your scars keep taking you back to being dead, disobedient, doomed, or on the outside. He died so that you are not that anymore. Remember where you are. Remember whose you are. A friend of mine a couple years ago, and I think I shared it during the psalm study years ago, so you've probably forgotten it. She shared this really cool um, note with me, and I found it, you know, just in the midst of a bunch of my junk one day. And, and she reminded me of this idea, and I want to leave you with this today when you're thinking through um, remembering where you were and remembering whose you are now. Is she reminded me of this. She said this, I've been pondering the idea that we believers are the hands and feet of Christ. Yet Christ's hands and feet had scars on them. And that's where the nails had been. And somehow our lives have to be scarred to be useful. Not all wounds do that, though. Some seem to leave an open wound, a wound that's not healed. But it's the wounds that we allow Jesus to heal that change us into servants, into his true hands and feet. We have a Savior with scars. We remember where we've been, but we remember whose we are. This is your biography but God, and we need to live like we believe it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wise words of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the fact that I can read this and understand that he was speaking to a certain group of people, but then in the beauty of what God does in his word, he's speaking to me today. I need every word of it, God. And thank you for, for giving it to us. And, and today I pray that everyone walks out of here with this biography, this but God. This is who you were, but this is whose you are if you've accepted Christ. Thank you that you love us enough um, that you leave us these words. Thank you that you loved us enough that you sent your son. Um, God, may we be connected to the vine. And may we be fruitful and lead other people to the great finish line. In Jesus' name, amen.